evidence, was he always this tall? He was born that way. He was born. He was, he was born 23 inches. He was tall. But this exact height at the time of birth? No. <laughs> no. Okay, so he has changed his body. Sure. That is called reincarnation. Monica, you gone to biology class? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the cells that you're in, body to, in your body today, are they the same cells that you were born with? No. No, you have changed your body. So that's... Reincarnation right there. A little example of it. So, today we have a little verse from the 13th chapter of Bhagavad Gita. So there's an invocation mantra we say sometimes. You can repeat after me. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So Bhagavad Gita is the ancient science given from, in, uh, from Sri Krishna himself, spoken 5,000 years ago. Uh, although it was spoken 5,000 years ago, it is still very, very interesting. Actually, it gets more and more interesting as you read. Unlike the your news feed generally would like your Facebook feed not to show the same thing, or maybe somebody s- shared the same meme or post, and it's like, okay, I need something fresh and new. But the nature of something that is spiritual is that it's ever fresh. It doesn't get old and stale. Uh, like the movie Joker, that's a new movie out. Some people asked, some people who watched it said, would you watch it 30 times in a month? They say, no, no. Because anything material has that quality. It just gets old and stale. It's like a piece of chewing gum. <clears throat> but spiritual knowledge is different. How do you tell if something is spiritual? Well, uh, Ram is our example. The body, has, the body that he had when he was a child, every cell of it has died. But Ram hasn't died because he's still here. He's the soul within the body. So the soul is ever fresh. It's the same person, even though the ever-changing body is going through all these changes. So the body is subject to death at every moment. Um, it is practically like a puppet. It's never even alive. It just gives a semblance that it's alive. But it's actually not alive. It's the person inside the puppet that gives it the presence of life. Just like uh, if you were looking for a discount at the pet store, you wouldn't want the dog that had died. You want the one with the soul inside, (laughs) the battery inside. That's what causes um, beauty and attraction. It could be Marilyn Monroe, but if the soul had left the body, nobody wants to take that Marilyn Monroe out on a date. Okay, so here's the verse. Verse number...
here, 31, 1331, 1331. So I will recite the Sanskrit. Yada bhuta prithag bhavam ekastam anupashyati tataivacha vistaram brahma sampadyate tada. When a sensible man ceases to see different identities. So what are some of the different identities a person could see? Tell me. So someone's happy, someone's sad. Yes. Heather, what other kind of identities? When you go outside, you see, what do you see? Sometimes angry people. Angry people. What about um, tall people? Yeah. Tall people, short people. Yeah, short. Uh, people from this country, that country, this race, that race, this demographic, that demographic. So we may see categorize, oh, this person's this, this person's that, this person's this. But when a sensible person ceases to see different identities due to different material bodies, and he sees how beings are expanded everywhere. So the soul is, it's not just in people. Like, um, if you know the history of America, we have unfortunate history of slavery. And there was a religious excuse that was given. It said, they said black people don't have a soul. It's okay. It's like a, like a table. Uh, you can, it's your property. You can do whatever you want with it. Now, of course, nowadays, people say that's completely absurd. That is such a horrible mentality. Uh, but... That was the mentality that was present. That an African-American person does not have a soul. Um, we call that racism. They said women have half a soul. How does that work? You know, like paralyzed on one side, kind of like... <laughs> you know, which half? Like the left side, the right side, you know, half a soul. So what does that mean? I mean, it's a ridiculous notion. That is called sexism. There's still a lot of people in this world, though, they say animals do not have a soul. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving. (laughs) And a lot of people say animals don't have a soul. If that conversation comes up at the table and everyone's smiling except for the bird that has bread in his butt, (laughs) they say animals don't have a soul. But it is the same ridiculous notion. Same ridiculous philosophy. How do you know uh, something has a soul? Heather Simpson. Um, it's the life that you're born with. It's alive, yeah. Yeah. So this, when the soul is there, then the, uh, then there's luster in the eyes. There's it's alive. It's yeah, the light that shines inside. Exactly, and when the soul's not there, it it it. it, it no longer becomes, like we said, attractive. And nobody wants really anybody, nobody really wants to hang out with that body. You know? no, it's not very, and we have our friend, he's not here tonight. He works at the county morgue. He's seen uh, probably up to 45,000 dead bodies in his life. Uh, and you'll say, that's not people. That's not a, that, those aren't persons. 
Those are bags of organic chemicals, and they're not attractive. But when the soul is there, it gives the presence of beauty. Actually, the pure beauty of the soul is being filtered and covered through the body. Like, you don't see the real thing. You just see partial. Just like if you were to paint a, a light bulb with black paint, maybe some light will come out, but not the full thing. It's, it's partial expression of it. So when one ceases to see different types of identities through different material bodies and sees how beings are expanded everywhere, the soul is everywhere, different kinds of souls. Where's the soul? Bacteria, viruses, anything that's alive. Symptoms of life are, you know, it, it's born, it grows, produces a byproduct, dwindles and fades away. Just like a tree, in the life of a tree, it produces a seed. So similarly, in, the, in our life, by our action, we are creating karma, a seed for a future body. We're creating, we're basically manufacturing our next destination by our present actions. So we might wonder what brought us to our particular situation. It is the result of our previous uh, actions and desires. Like Mozart, what was he doing in his past life? Music. Music, man. The guy's been, what was he doing in his past life, three lives before that? Music. Music. Yeah, he was doing it for a lot of lifetimes, you know. It's a long-term desire that he had cultivated. And then it manifests, the karma manifests in such a way that he was able to compose symphonies at the age of four, and he was hearing dual symphonies in his head. He said, I'm just an author. I'm not even a creator. Just so much music was coming through him. Um, so you find that kind of karma. Karma is like your uh, credit limit and comma. Have you heard of the word? Where have you heard the word comma before? Kama Sutra. <laughs> yes. Kama just means desire. And so... Your kama and your karma, your desire and your deeds, or what, or what decides your next situation. Um, like, for example, you want to fly to Chicago. Depending on your, that's, say that is the desire. Now, depending on your credit limit, what kind of flight could you take? Economy. Economy, Spirit Airlines, yeah? <laughs> you know, pay for your water, pay, you get a little bag, you can, maybe you can take in a little high school bag. Yeah, economy minus, yes. <laughs> Spirit Airlines, yeah. yeah. You know, no fun. Um, you, there's some surprising charges that come, you know, whatever, who knows. And then, or what if you have a, 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 your, a, a big credit limit? First class American Airlines. Private jet. Oh, yeah. Private jet. That's even better. Yeah, yeah, private jet. You're going to sh- Desire is just to go to Chicago, but depending on your credit limit, it's manifesting different ways. So you might desire to be good at music, and then you can play like three chords on the guitar. You know? Hey, because that's your. Hey, hey, some of the best songs in the world are three chords. Don't get me started. <laughs> but maybe, yeah. <laughs> You have like a little bit of a musical ear, a little bit of uh, ability, because you have that desire, and then you had that credit to a certain limit. Or maybe you have this desire that you cultivated for many lifetimes, and the credit was manifested in a bigger way. Well, regardless of the credit, 
karma itself is binding. And the Gita, Arjuna asks Krishna, what is karma? And he says, any action that binds you to a future material birth. That's what karma is. So you think, oh, good karma. I want some good karma. Give me some golden shackles. Give me the first class prison cell. No, no. If, if the material world, what are some of the problems the material world has? Divya. Divya, isn't it? No, Janani. Janani. Okay, there's a Divya also. Janani. What are, what 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 problems does it, do you ex- face in this world? Um, a lot of evil. Evil, yeah. War. War. Anger, jealousy, An- greed. Anger, jealousy, greed. What are some problems that you're basically guaranteed to face? Old age. Old age. Uh, unless you die before. Death. And that's another one. <laughs> Um, and then you may die of disease. disease yeah. So these are guarantees. You're guaranteed to experience death. Um, somebody was speaking with our founder. Um, you see his little statue here. Um, and they said, India has a high death rate. He said, what? India has a high... He said, in America it is 100%. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> what is this death rate? You know, everyone, everywhere you go, hundred percent, no matter what. And so, um, that is a guarantee. Disease, who knows? Piano could fall on their head. I don't know how often that happens, but in the cartoons it does happen. So, um, but it is guaranteed. Um, there is a. Um, there is a devotee, he's a musician, and he makes a whole bunch of satire songs. He plays a role of kind of like a, um, a very strict monk, and he sings all kinds of uh, gloomy songs in a Russian accent, which is all a whole, it's just a whole persona that he does for the thing. But he has a, you know, a staying alive song. His chorus is, you're going to die. Going to die. <laughs> he says, whether you're Brahma or President Obama, you're going to die. <laughs> going to die. <laughs> and he has, a, he has a whole satire song of it. They're, they're all really funny and silly. Uh, he has a whole Christmas album, and the whole thing is really... He says, uh, well, this is a plastic tree, but uh, he says, chopping down the coniferous tree. What such a cruel, unusual thing. <laughs> Killing the helpless entity... On which you hang your bling. (laughs) Uh, um, You might have a sentimental condition. Yes, indeed. If half-dead tree is making you jolly, that is called the age of Kali. (laughs) So material, this age is where we're just uh, chasing after the temporary. And we kind of lose the aim of our what will actually satisfy ourselves. Because as we discussed all these different identities, we have nothing to do with them. We are not the physical body. Because if Ram was the physical body, then you would be sobbing, because the body you gave birth to is gone. That body has died. Every cell that was in that body is now dead. But he's not dead, he's right here. 
because he wasn't the body. He was the soul all along. And therefore, because he's a soul, the body is creating new cells, <clears throat> replacing the old. So the body is dying at every moment. The person lives on. Even after this car that we are in stops working, the soul lives on. Doesn't, doesn't, it cannot be nainam chindanti sahastrani nainam dahati pavaka. Cannot be cut. The soul cannot be cut. It cannot be burned. Naikladianto cannot be moistened. Maruta cannot be withered by the wind. It cannot be, you know, it is immutable, eternal, everlasting, uh, indestructible. So that is the soul. But because we are identifying with this body, then we are full of fear because the body is subject to death. So how do we get free from that fear? Experiencing ourselves. First, understanding. Then second, experiencing ourselves as something eternal beyond this body. And so that is what the whole kirtan meditation is there for, is to have a substantial spiritual experience by which one can overcome the fear that this material situation gives. Welcome. Hello, what's your name? Callie. Callie? Yes, I refer oh. to Callie tonight. All right. <laughs> So, I'll continue reading. So this is, I read the verse. When a sensible person sees, ceases to see the, uh, the different identities due to the difference of the material body. So he stops seeing the bodily situation and sees the soul inside. <laughs> stops seeing white person, black person, Republican, Democrat, Fat person, skinny person, tall person, short person, poor person, rich person. He stops seeing all of that and sees how the soul is not, it, oh, okay, human, no, animal, no. Everywhere sees a soul, how it's present in all living creatures. He attains to the first level of God realization. And then this is the elaboration on that verse. When one can see the various bodies of the living entities arise to do different desires, of the individual soul. So we already talked about that, how we get our body based on the desires and deeds of the past life. And do not actually belong to the soul. One actually sees. This is a person who actually has a vision. In the material conception of life, we find someone, an angel, a demigod, someone, a human being, a dog, a cat, etc. This is material vision, not actual vision. The material differentiation is due to a material conception of life. After the destruction of the material body, the spirit soul is one. The spirit soul, due to contact with material nature, gets different types of bodies. When one can see this, he attains spiritual vision. Now, when we say oneness, it doesn't, we don't mean a loss of individuality, but there is a shared uh, universality between everything. Um, we say, we've heard, the, haven't you heard this? All men are created equal. Now, is that true? Like if you're talking about something that is created, are we created equal? Like, our, the soul is actually eternal. It is beyond creation. It doesn't have, it's outside of the realm of time. It doesn't have a start or end. 
But things that are created, you know, are not, they're not the same. Nothing, even if you're a twin, it's like there's differences there. So physically speaking, there's always difference. Not to speak of value, but differences. You know, somebody is taller, somebody is shorter, somebody uh, dances better than the other person, somebody's faster. So many different qualities are there. Somebody is really smart on this subject and doesn't know this subject. Someone knows really good this subject, doesn't know that subject. Everybody is different. But when we go beyond the body level, there's an there's a actual unifying principle. Because otherwise, what is the unifying principle? We could say, oh, well, we're all human beings. Well, then that, that, that becomes a speciesism. Then you're you, like, okay, well, forget the turkey. You know, stick some bread in his bum and a knife in his back. No, no, there's, there's a lack of unifying principle. So when we see the soul, then there's actual unifying principle. And when you see the source or the super soul, the big picture, then there is a true unifying principle. Just like um, we talk about sometimes a brotherhood, a sisterhood of all beings, but it is not realized unless you have a father, an all-connecting entity, something that connects us all. So there we go. There's a oneness. There's a unification This soul, due to contact with material nature, gets different types of bodies. When one can see this, he attains spiritual vision and is thus freed from differentiations like man, animal, big, low, etc., and becomes purified in his consciousness and is able to develop Krishna consciousness in his spiritual identity. So this is like a, a stage leading to perfection. That this understanding, this vision. How he can then see things will be explained in the next verse. Want to hear that next verse? Maybe, maybe, if you're lucky. So there, there is some qualities of, that come when one has not only spiritual vision, but a connection to the Supreme. And so there is a, a king named Ranti Dev. So I'll give you an example of his qualities. Um, so Ranti Dev, he was an a, a avid spiritual practitioner. He wanted to um, be less controlled by his impulses and um, ready to serve God, serve the world. And this was in a previous time. People could do things pretty intensely. And still some people can do things like this now, but he had fasted for 48 days, including water. This is a different time, though. This, humans are quite capable in previous times. No water, you said? No water. Fasting, yeah. We had a friend, uh, Gauravani, who was, he came and sang here. Um, he's a famous musician he sings all around the world but he was like 300 something pounds and then he went on a, like a 30 day fast he didn't food for 30 days and he, uh, he's much smaller now but it was, that was quite intense so we might think it's impossible we've seen people do it actually not usually I'm serious fasting like that 
should not be done without some guidance because you could harm yourself more. You could actually mess up your your psychology. There's some, there's some better have some guidance when you don't do crazy diets and fasts without real uh, experts in that field. It could be Ayurveda, it could be something, but somebody who knows what they're doing. Otherwise, uh, you may like lose some weight or something, but then or die or die. Are you? But then you get insomnia for like seven years or something. Could you mess you up? So, uh, anyway, this king, he had fasted for 48 days, food and water. And he was doing this spiritual fast, and like many of these uh, fasting programs that they do in, in, in India, there is a specific day to break the fast. And, and so they cooked a nice meal. Water was there. Maybe there was a tofu turkey. Maybe there was some mashed potatoes and gravy. Maybe there was some orange-scented cranberry sauce and corn in the cob. Maybe there were some buns. Um, maybe there was some pumpkin pie. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, a nice feast, you know? And he was just about to eat and a priest came to his door. He had a whole meal for him and it wasn't just him. His family was there. They all fasted. And so they were all like shivering to the, you know, they were, it's, it's extreme, you know. The body can't really handle any another day. Die after 49th day or something. <laughs> and so... So they gave a good portion to the, of the food to this priest. The priest came to the door and said that he was hungry. Gave a good portion to the priest. Then, he's, then he distributed the food to his, his relatives and he had his plate. He was about to eat. And then a construction worker came to his door. He said, yo man, I'm real hungry. There he took his plate in half, gave it to the construction worker, and he, yeah, and he still had a, a bit, so he gave, he gave half of it to the construction worker. Then he was, again, he was about to eat, and as he was about to eat, uh, a man with a whole bunch of dogs came to the door. He said, my dogs are hungry. And I'm hungry too. I said, uh, I heard you got some good food. <laughs> I heard you got some mashed potatoes and gravy. And he said, yeah. He gave them all, the dogs and the, uh, the uh, man, they had the rest of the food. He had some water left. He was about to drink the water and a junkie came to his door. He said, Donkey said, I'm really, you know, I, I really need some water. And he gave him all the water he had. And he said, he told him, here I got his, he said, I don't pray to God for the powers of a yogi. Nor do I pay, pay, pray to be free from death and birth again in this world. He said, all I want to do is, is 
take, a, take your suffering. Just by offering you something, I've, I've, I'm not thirsty anymore. By giving you, caring for your thirst, I'm not thirsty. This is the heart that develops because you see everyone in connection to God. And so, what to speak of using somebody for your own gratification. This person's own gratification is being at the expense of serving others. So in this world, you said evil. What is the evil that we face? We use people for our gratification. We all do. We, we, we calculate This person can offer me this. This person is good for me in this way. We are uh, kind of the center of our own universes. We are the heroes of a great movie that we've written. And everyone else is just like a side actor, you know, like a lesser part. But we are the hero. Uh, For example, there was one uh, mafia guy in Chicago named Tugun Pete. And he was famous for always killing his victims with two guns. So one day he was out in Lover's Lane making out with his girlfriend. And a police officer made the grave offense of knocking on his window. Silly guy, how how dare you? So he came out and he shot the officer. But he didn't have his two guns, so he took the, the cop's gun and he shot him again with his other gun. The cops come. The other cops couldn't understand, uh, you know, two two guns, uh, exalted character. So they started chasing after him. They had a car chase, and he ended up going all the way back to his his home. And there was a some gunfire exchange between the house and two gun peed and the, the cops. And during this moment, he realized, okay, I probably won't live very much longer. So he wrote a letter to his mother. He said, dear mom, I'm actually a good guy. <laughs> People just don't understand me. Take care of the dog. Love your son, Petey. So that is us. We're, we're the hero of our show. We're the great... Um, and even if we can't be the hero, at least we could be like the, 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 the villain. <laughs> but we're something great somehow. Uh, you know, either we're uh, uh, worried about, you know, think how great we are or we're, we're thinking how horrible we are. But we're, it's all about us. But still is that calculation, what can I get out of people? But when the, we do not see that material situation actually brings up the soul, brings us Bring us up, brings us up. There's no benefit of a, any type of material situation for our actual happiness. The benefit is actually, you know, the benefit of the hand is to feed the stomach. The benefit of the soul is to serve God. Isn't it? If the hand takes a food for itself, then it's not going to get anything out of it. But if it offers it back to the stomach, then it actually gets nourished. So, when, he, when the soul begins to experience that, then his desire to take from others 
that fever goes down. That's how we should judge our health. It's a fever to take, to try to squeeze the temporary. It goes down. To the point that even if I become distressed, if I can do some seva, some service to Krishna and his spirit souls, I am happy by that. And that was an example of Ranti Dev. So we might not be there yet. We don't have to fake it, but we can uh, have that that uh, understanding. This is where we should head to. That we're we are so satisfied that we're so happy inside that even if we're starving, we will still want to feed someone else. Want to hear one other example? There is another example of a king named Shibi. (coughs) And this is understood to be so long in the past that humans could actually communicate with animals. So the king the, uh, was at home and a pigeon flew into his lap. And the pigeon said, you have to save me. There's a hawk. He's trying to eat me. Nice sign language. Oh, okay. <laughs> And he said, yes. The king's job is to take care, the leader's job is to take care of all beings in his vicinity. Not white people, not black people, not Indian people, all beings. Babies, (coughs) humans, everything. Protect everyone. Protect everyone from injustice and harm. Now, especially if someone says, I need your protection, then the king's job is to protect. So then the hawk came. And the hawk said, I need your protection. I need to eat some flesh. I was eyeing that pigeon. But now you have, he's under your shelter. So now you have to protect me. So this king, he told the hawk, he said, whatever this pigeon weighs, I'll give you flesh from my own body. And so he put, they got this royal scale out, put the pigeon on the scale, and the guy cut off a chunk of his flesh. He kept on cutting and cutting. You don't, she's, she's cringing there. <laughs> but this was not an ordinary pigeon. This is one of those characters that were mentioned early in the purport. It's actually an angel, a deva, a devata, a demigod, coming to show how glorious is a saintly spiritual personality. So the pigeon just got heavier. The guy just kept on cutting. <laughs> just to the point where he was just about to die. Then 
at the last moment, they say, okay, they, they, they immediately granted, you know, replenished his whole body and gave him all kinds of blessings. You know, he had all kinds of boons and blessings. But it was just to show this is the character of someone who is actually tasting spiritual life. We want to come to that level that we're tasting it, we're experiencing it. It is not just a ritual, it is not just a theory, but it is something that we're experiencing. And by experiencing, if you're tasting the mashed potatoes, gravy, pumpkin pie, stuffing, and the tofurkey, and you were hungry before coming here, and you're tasting all of that, does the dumpster at 7-Eleven have any appeal to you? Does it? Now, if you had not eaten for 48 days, would that dumpster have an appeal? It would look like the most beautiful dumpster you've ever seen. You never knew a dumpster could look so glorious and beautiful. But as soon as you have the mashed potatoes, gravy, tofurkey, stuffing, orange-scented cranberry sauce, and buns, and pumpkin pie, and corn on the cob, then, as soon as you're eating all that, that dumpster has lost its appeal. Therefore, if someone is not truly connected in their spiritual life, then they cannot give up bad habits. Because the desire to experience and enjoy is always there. You could enjoy on the dumpster level or the, you know, the super tasty, yummy dinner level. You can enjoy on both those levels. But if you're not enjoying this, then that dumpster looks appealing. So, you know, sometimes you find even people in religious orders, they're caught in type of scandals and stuff. It means that they're actually either uh, what they're practicing is somehow disconnected. It's not the proper understanding or their own practices, their own mentality and activity or a combination of the both. Because it should produce a result. Uh, what do you say? What is that? You judge a tree by its fr- fruits? Something? <coughs> what is the Sanskrit? Anyone know? Something. Yeah, but you, you, you should have a result there. Arjuna asks in the Gita, <coughs> what is the, how do you, what's the example of someone who is self-realized? How do they walk? How do they talk? How do they behave? How do they respond to troubles? How do they how does this how do they respond to difficulties? How does how do they respond to oppression and all different things? And what is their character? So we should know these things. So I stop here, ask if there's some comments, some questions, and reflections. about us, you know, we always, what can we get from this person and that person? Even when you go to God's temple, we always say, God, give me this, God, give me that. Yeah, yeah. But, how do we ever ask the God, you know, God, here I am, what can I do for you today? Exactly. Or what can I give you? Exactly. It's, uh, when you said that, I was thinking about that, that is, that is so true, you know, it's always about me, me, me. But it's never about you. Yes, yes. And that's just a 
selfish way, uh, you know, the way we represent ourselves to the world, you know, it's, it's just me, you know, what can you give me? Mm. So when you said that, it, it kind of, Oh, wonderful. So, so two things is that when we have that spiritual community, people who are uh, serious about their own spiritual life, then they help us uh, practice on a higher level. Kind of, oh, maybe, maybe there's even, even more nicer way to practice this. But then the second thing is that you can go to the bank and be materialistic. You can go to the temple and be materialistic. You can go, but if you go to the Lord and be materialistic, that's the only thing that's going to actually, even if you go there with whatever motivation, it's going to change it over time. Do you know the story of Dhruv? Yes. How many, how many here know the story of Dhruv? Raise your hand. How many don't? Raise your hand. So Dhruva... Uh, he, he is, there's a book called The Prince and the Pole Star. I'll tell it really quick and then, you know, uh, uh, you know I don't want to be the, the turkey on the table. I don't want to get too good. <laughs> so, uh, there was a boy, a son of a king. Um, he was the, this king had two wives. Usually that means trouble's going to happen. Not a good idea. <laughs> Basically all the stories of anything like that, that's just trouble. <laughs> anyway, so this king had two wives. And he had two sons, one from each wife. Uttanapad and Dhruva. Um, well, one wife was very beautiful. Suruchi. And the other one was very uh, saintly and intelligent, Suniti. So one day, Dhruva went and as a five-year-old boy, he climbed up on his father's lap. And his stepmother, the other queen, pushed him off. Said, you cannot sit on the throne you want to sit on the throne, then you need to take birth in my womb. Better you go die and take birth in my womb. Then you can sit on the throne. He just wanted to sit on his dad's lap. And because he had that kind of royal uh, inclination, he was very fiery. He was so upset. so he went crying, hot tears are coming out of his eyes. He goes, and he cries to his mother. And mother said, yes, you know, our, our situation is unfortunate. Um, the only person who could help you is God. He says, where is he? She said, I heard yogis find him in the forest through meditation. So he immediately, the five-year-old immediately ran away from home. He left, he went into the jungle. And then there was a powerful sage named Narada. This sage is so powerful that he can travel from planet to planet through meditation. 
he was aware of what this child was doing. So he went over and tested him. He said, hey, you're five years old. Like, you should just get over this. <laughs> I mean, it shouldn't be such a big deal. Kinda, you're five. And he was like, no, no. I'm, he was so upset. I he said, he said, I have to see this, this Lord, this God. He said, I want a kingdom greater than my grandfather's. And his, his father was actually not even a human being. He was in it, like a, above the level of the human being. He was a lord of planets. He said, I want a kingdom greater than my father's, my, even my grandfather's. And so he, um, seeing the child's determination, Narada agreed to teach him the ancient system of yoga. Now, if anybody says that they're a yoga teacher, um, we will just give an example of the kind of serious quality Ashtanga yoga really requires. So for the first month, so he stood on one foot uh, in the, you know, the, the, what is it called? Vrikshasana, tree pose like that. And for, for the first month, he only ate uh, leaves that he could grab every three days. Second month, he ate leaves, dry leaves, every six days. The third month, he ate, uh, drank some water every nine days. And the fourth month, he would take a breath of air every 12 days. And then he stopped, he stopped his breathing through some yogic system of just, you know, not for, we, we could try to pretend to be that stuff. We'll just make ourselves pass out, whatever. Can't, nobody can do these things anymore. That's what the yoga system was. So much so that he was able to connect and the Lord appeared within his heart. And then the Lord appeared outside of his heart in front of his vision on the sixth month. And when he saw the Lord, the Lord of his heart, he said, I don't want any of these things anymore. I just want you. He said, I was chasing after broken pieces of glass, but you are the real gem. So that's the benefit. Even if someone has, oh, uh, oh Lord, uh, I want this car. <laughs> oh, Lord, TV. Oh, Lord, this or that. But still, that connection is purifying. But then if we hear the association of, like this book called the Bhagavatam, it's on a much higher level. Most of the lit- Vedic literature is on a kind of materialistic level. There are different levels of literature for different classes. So the Bhagavatam is on the highest level. It has nothing to do with the materialistic side of getting things. And therefore, when you hear the Bhagavatam, it kind of eradicates that mentality. So thank you for sharing that, Mona. Thank you. That was very nice, yeah. Any other reflections? You're all ready? Yep. Okay, they didn't have the door open, so I didn't know that's the, the eternal signal. Yeah. All right, so Om Tat Sat, thanks a lot. Hare Krishna.